Hey, Max, you consider yourself pretty open-minded, right? Uh, yeah, I would say so. That's a good thing, because one of the characters in the book I'm doing this week has a lot of weird fetishes, and we do not kink shame in this house. <laughs> no, we do not. Welcome to Second to Die, a horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. And to be clear for anyone who recognized the title in this episode, I do very much shame the character in this book. Wait, what book are you doing? Oh, wait, you don't want to talk about until afterwards. No, not until afterwards. But it's in the title of the episode, so people will see it. Well, there's no, well, actually, to be, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there's a little bit of kink in the movie I'm doing, but it's inappropriate, <laughs> all things considered. So let me just get, get right into it, and then we can talk about your kinky book, because I have a good amount to cover right now. Today, I'm talking about, as people know from the title, the 2013 movie, The Green Inferno. That is directed by Eli Roth, written by Eli Roth and Guillermo Amoedo. People may know Eli Roth from the Hostel movies. It is This movie is the third and final in, I guess, what they call Eli Roth's trilogy uh, titled Travel and Punishment. It began with Cabin Fever, and then the second one is, I guess, considered Hostel 1 and 2. They're counted as one, and then this is the third. I don't know. I feel like that's something somebody made up. Doesn't make yeah. any sense to me. None of those movies are related. They're just, they all are about, I guess, travel. Although, let me tell you, going to a cabin in the woods is not something I would consider traveling, but I digress. Or something I want to do. Yeah, seriously. Unless it's like a really nice cabin. <laughs> like glamping? Um, except I want it to just be a house in the woods, but with all the comforts of home and Wi-Fi, but no one for miles around. Yeah, Wi-Fi and internet, I would be okay with. They I like the, the same thing. Yeah, well, they're not the same thing, but anyways. I mean, they're not. The internet, they're, never mind. All right, uh, there's a little bit of trivia. The, actually, it's it's a little bit of trivia, but it's actually kind of interesting. This movie, I'll just, I'm, I don't have the actual premise of, or the synopsis written down of it, so I'll just like give my own version of it. Basically, it's about like these people who go to sort of, what do you call that? They're activists trying to save the Amazon, and they end up, their plane crashes, and they're captured by a bunch of cannibalistic Amazon indigenous tribe people. That sounds problematic. It does sound problematic a little bit. I'm not sure that it is. It might be. I'll talk about it. It was controversial for the exact reason that you're bringing up right now. It was criticized by Survival International, that campaigns for indigenous peoples and communities. Basically, it said that it reinforced colonialism and respectively neocolonialism, as well as strong stigmas against indigenous people, portraying them as savages, which I can kind of see. So Roth's response to that, and I'm this is literally a direct quote, and then we can talk a little bit about it. He said, quote, the idea that a fictional movie about a fictional tribe could somehow hurt indigenous people when gas companies are tearing these villages p- apart on a daily basis is simply absurd. These companies don't need an excuse. They have one, the natural resources in the ground. They can window dress things however they like, but nobody will destroy a village because they didn't like a character in a movie. 
They'll do it because they want to get rich by draining what's under the village. The fear that somehow a movie would give them ammunition to destroy a tribe all sounds like misdirected anger and frustration that the corporations are the ones controlling the fates of these uncontacted tribes. So he makes a good point, but also at the same time is 100% deflecting. It's a little bit. I get his point. I actually do agree with him. But at the same time, it's not necessarily about are people going to destroy these villages because of a negative portrayal. There's still going to be like a stigma, regardless of whether Joe Schmo goes down to the Amazon to personally destroy an indigenous village. If that person thinks negatively or has this negative opinion throughout the rest of his life of indigenous people in the Amazon rainforest, that's probably a negative effect. I mean, and that's not something that I think you can just brush off to be like, it's no big deal. Yeah. And that's my only thing. Like, I don't necessarily know that like the tribes people are going to be hurt. Like, I mean, they don't have contact with anybody. So I don't think they're going to be hurt by the fact that people may view them as savages after seeing this movie. But that's also not the point because It's never an isolated event, right? So this movie making you think that these people are savages, like that kind of mentality will spill over into your view of other peoples, other cultures, and it almost just makes it okay to think that other cultures are inferior or lesser or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, we're hitting you with the real political news here on Second to Die. This is really a comedy podcast, so let's be funny. Okay, thanks. Also, I watched this movie, so it's like, whatever. I don't know. I'm supporting it, I guess. On the note of the villagers, the villagers in this movie are real indigenous villagers. They're real indigenous people from, I want to say it was, it's somewhere in the Peru slash Chile region. It was filmed in both countries. Obviously, like, indigenous people do not give a shit about borders because they don't. Yeah. So... In the movie, it's Peru, but when I looked it up, some of the locations are Peru and some of them are Chile. And a few of the actors are actually Chilean actors as well. But they were real indigenous people. And when when Roth approached the villagers to be extras in the film, he realized that they had never seen a movie and had no concept of what one was when trying to explain it to them. So to demonstrate what a movie was, he brought a copy, a TV to play with, obviously, And a copy of the film Cannibal Holocaust from 1980, one of the original sort of gore cannibal films, to show to the villagers, who apparently loved it and were very excited about acting in a movie. But they had never seen a movie and they thought Cannibal Holocaust was a comedy. They found it funny. Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe their whole viewpoint was like, that's not how it is. Mm, yeah I thought that was kind of interesting but also I guess it's maybe a good thing that like I mean I guess it is good that they were like cool with the idea and then they learned what a movie was and they were totally on board with it yeah they were so grateful that they offered a two-year-old child to the production designer as a thank you for including them in the film the production designer politely declined That's probably good, though, because a lesser man may not have declined. I am very rarely speechless. (laughs) That's a lot. Maybe that's kind of like how Matt Gates, that uh, representative from Florida, got his son. (gasps) You know? Yeah, his like weirdly hot son. Yeah. All tea, all shade on that one. That is a weird situation. Why are people not talking about that now? I guess because this whole like 
pandemic thing just threw everything off. I don't even think it's just the pandemic, but like now like the election stuff and like all this like weird buffoonery coming out of the White House. I cannot wait until that's over. Anyways, let's move on. So other places are crazier than Florida for once. (laughs) Yeah. We are accomplished now. (laughs) Respectable people. Yeah. So yeah, two-year-old child, probably not an appropriate gift, but what does one get? Somebody who lets them star in a movie. I don't know. Not a person. A lovely thank you card. (laughs) So last kind of fun fact about this, I think. (laughs) When they got, so when they got to the village, because it's filmed on location. So when they got to the village in the Amazon, there were Christian missionaries in boats singing songs. And they were not aware that there was a movie being filmed. And they saw all of these like props, including skeletons and impaled dead bodies on stakes and became very alarmed and started singing louder, apparently. (laughs) Oh, God, that's lovely. That to me is amazing because, well, because they have no business being there. I'll just say that. Yeah, no. You can be whatever religion you want, but like. Stop fucking around with other people. Holy cow. Religion is like a penis. But I love penises. Of this I am well aware. Have you never seen that meme? No. Religion is like a penis. If you have one, good for you. If you're proud of it, good for you. Don't whip it out and don't shove it down my throat. Unless I've asked you to. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to say, okay, you clearly didn't write that meme. Don't be rude. All right. So all in all, the film's gotten mixed reviews. Stephen King apparently loved it, saying that it was kind of a throwback to the drive-in horror movies of his youths. Other people had some not-so-great things to say about it, kind of a consensus that it was gory, but not in any sort of good or exciting way, just kind of meh. But it has a very average rating, like an, an average Metacritic rating, so it's not, like, awful. And I didn't find it awful, but it wasn't... You know, so... I actually have known about this movie for a very long time, and the marketing campaign for it was like, oh, it's so gory, it's so crazy. Somebody at one of the filmings in like some, like, I don't know, European country or something, like fainted. It was so graphic and so nuts, and this was just going to be the the like scariest movie of all time. And so I had kind of high hopes for it, and I never got around to watching it. And then I did watch it now for this, and I was like, eh, whatever. Anyways, I'm going to tell you what happens in it. So I'm going to sum up a lot of it. It, You kind of meet the main girl in this. Her name is Justine. She has this friend, Casey, who serves literally no purpose in the entire movie because she's in like the first like 30 minutes for setup, but she's not one of the people that goes to the Amazon with them. So like she's literally pointless. And I really do hate to say it, but she's played by this actress named Sky, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, um, Ferreira, I believe, who is awful. Like her acting is actively bad in this movie so i do not get it and i she's been in a bunch of stuff apparently so maybe she's good in other things and she just couldn't deal with the script but it was like her acting was terrible and i'm i have a pretty high tolerance for bad acting like i'll just say this every actor in lamageddon was better than her okay because we're still talking about lamageddon she also was super yeah basically she also was super problematic because she Like, in the first, like, 10 minutes of the movie... The character or the actress? The character. Sorry. The actress is probably a lovely individual. I wouldn't know. But the character calls people retarded. Ooh, no. We don't... Which mm -mm. we don't do. We don't use the R word. No. 
And then she also at one point says, activism is so freaking gay, which first of all, thank you. But second of all, that is offensive. But also thank you. But also thank you. We'll take that one. Yeah. It's also important to know that Justine's father is an attorney for the United Nations. Comes into play a little bit later. We learn all this in the first 45 minutes of the movie. And I say, oh, the first 45 minutes of the movie, like that's a short time. The movie is 90 minutes. So literally the first half of this movie is lead up character development with no horror elements at all, which is kind of obnoxious for a horror movie. That is not how I like my horror movies. I want somebody dead in the first five to 10 minutes or you are going to lose me. Oh, boy. No. But basically, there's a bunch of, like, activism on campus. We get this lesson about how, like, college kids are super into activism. It's kind of realistic because it's, like, bullshit activism a little bit. And then we go to one of their, one of Justine's history classes, and there's this lesson that they're giving on female genital mutilation. It's, like, real heavy-handed foreshadowing. And they talk about how... It's done in some African countries, some Arab countries, some Muslim countries. And then it's like, and also some tribes in the Amazon rainforest. And I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is going to come into play in the movie. Why are we learning this information? Anyway, female genital mutilation is terrible. So I don't think that that's controversial, but the movie wants to tell us all about it. So long story short, Justine meets up with this campus activist group led by Alejandro. And they're like... We're going to go to the Amazon and try to save this group of forests that's being deforested and this tribe that's going to be destroyed. Okay. Interestingly enough, Alejandro and his girlfriend, who her name is Kara, she's played by um, Ignacia Ayamond, and he's played by Ariel Levi, or Levy, I don't actually know which one, but the only reason I mention them is because they are both in this great Mexican film. They're both Chilean actors, but they're in a Mexican film called Hazlo Como Hombre or um, Do It Like a Man, which is a gay film and is hysterical. I've seen this film at least 10 times. It is the film in which I discovered the music by Nick Bolt, that like Mexican techno singer that I was like obsessed with for like a couple of weeks or something like that. Yes. Yeah. So they're both in that movie. He played the main like kind of swarthy hunky love interest of the main character that was like coming out and then she was the girlfriend of his best friend anyways that movie is great if people it is not horror at all but if anybody likes mexican gay movies yeah it's like a gay comedy it's it's really funny anyways i'm getting sidetracked okay so you've had a lot of caffeine today (laughs) i can hear it and how fast you're talking all right i'll slow down but i also have a lot to get through all right i'll slow down Okay. All right. So anyways, they end up going to Peru. There's this guy, Carlos. He's like their sponsor where he's like going to show them where the area is. Funny side note. They do not subtitle any of the Spanish in the movie. There's not that much of it, but it's cute. Like, because Carlos is like ogling Justine up and down and Cara like turns to him and is like, she's a gringa. You know how frigid they are, but it's cute because it's not subtitled. So I guess you'd have to speak Spanish to understand it, which... I think we've mentioned I do. So I was, I don't know. I was tickled by that. So anyways, really quick, they get on a plane. They fly to the Amazon. They get in boats. They go down the river. They end up finding this construction site. They chain themselves to the trees. A bunch of stuff goes down where basically like it turns out that they were kind of using Justine because they knew her dad was a UN person and that like they wouldn't kill her. But she does get a gun to her head. She does not like that. But ultimately, they don't kill them. 
Otherwise, this would be a very short movie. Actually, not that short. This is like 45 fucking minutes into it. <laughs> but either way, the militia takes them back to the plane. They pay off the militia to let them go. And then they are flying back home. And they're like, yay, we did it. We made a difference. Well, then the plane crashes in the Amazon. A bunch of people get killed. But there's like five survivors. Ironically enough, the five main characters. <laughs> yeah, basically. Coincidentally enough, I guess. But whatever. Kara survives, but not for that long. She is like, she. so after the plane, the plane crash is actually pretty gory because like people get like impaled through the head and stuff like that. And then I don't know, I thought it was kind of funny, but one of the survivors, he gets out and he's like, oh my God, what's this? And he walks into the plane's propeller that is still going and his head gets chopped in half. It's like real, but, but to be honest, he's kind of one of the lucky ones. So it's probably a smart move. So Kara sees these people in the distance and then she immediately gets a spear through the neck. Oh. And she's basically dead. Makes her one of the lucky ones, too. Mm-hmm. But long story short, they all get, like, below dart, dart gunned. Or they get shot with trank darts, but it's not like a trank dart, like, from a gun. They're, like, blow darts. Like, Are we down to three now? No. It's, it's, so it's this lesbian couple that I haven't mentioned, but I will. And then this guy, Jonah, who is a little bit chubby, which I guess is supposed to come into play. This guy, Daniel... And then Justine and Alejandro. Okay. Okay. So there's a few of them. Anyways, the villagers capture them. They ba- they all wake up. They're being taken in boats down the Amazon. The villagers come, put them in cages, everyone except the chubby one, Jonah. And they basically have Jonah drink this stuff. They lay him on a slab. And then this person... So all Oh, all the indigenous people are covered completely in red body paint. And then one of them has yellow body paint to signify that she's kind of like the elder. And she comes and she proceeds to gouge out Jonah's eyes while he's still alive and eats them. Then she cuts his tongue out and eats that. Then they proceed to dismember him while he's alive and like carry off his like various limbs. And they ultimately behead him. And then there's this kind of scene where they're cooking him. Very different parts of him. Chefs, you may open your baskets. Yeah, basically. So then, okay, then they bring all the women up and they're like stripping them and then they're checking. She basically, the when I say she, I mean the sort of high, I say high priestess. The lady in yellow. The lady in yellow. Yeah, the, the yellow lady. She basically takes this little claw thing and is like checking them between their legs very obviously to see if their hymens are intact. And none of their hymens are intact except for Justine's. So that makes them go crazy and, like, they celebrate the fact that Justine, that the, she breaks Justine's hymen with this, like, claw thing. Fun fact, the hymen does not have to be broken during sex. Yeah, well, originally, I, I'm assuming they're trying to suggest that she's the virgin of the group. Yeah. But she's very pretty and in college, I find that highly unlikely. And also, that doesn't necessarily mean that she was a virgin. So, oh, that's that. <sighs> Also, virginity is a social construct. Da 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 da. Yeah. Okay, so they paint Justine. After that, they kind of take Justine and they paint her like white. And she doesn't really know why because she was, I guess, passed out. One of the lesbians tries to run away and she, you don't really know what happens to her. Side note, she has all these tattoos. Then later, when they feed the people, the captives, like food. There's, like, a little piece of skin in the bottom of the girlfriend's bowl with, like, a tattoo on it. And she realizes that she's, like, eating her girlfriend. The stew is stew! Yeah, it's just the stew is stew moment. So then she 
breaks her dish and slits her own throat. Yikes. Yeah. Very shortly after, we look over and what is Alejandro doing? Jerking off in the corner of the cage. And this is where I'm going to say, I don't necessarily kink shame, but I'm not sure that jerking off after somebody has just slit their own throat in front of you is 100% healthy. He's not. So, okay. (laughs) They're like, dude, what are you doing? And he's not. He doesn't say that he's jerking off to her corpse. Like, he's not jerking off to the dead woman. He basically is like, I can't think clearly. I have to relieve stress. But that seems like a real odd time to do that. And then one of the guys is like, dude, you're fucked up. You're fucked up. And gets mad. And then he goes and starts, like, choking Alejandro. And Alejandro just keeps looking at him in the eyes and keeps jerking off. Oh. (laughs) Suddenly, this becomes a very different movie, which I swear I've seen before. God. Anyway... So at this point, they all hate Alejandro, and then they get this big plan, which is literally the dumbest thing in this fucking movie that I'm going to talk about, and the plan is, so one of them had some marijuana on him, and they shove the marijuana down the throat of the girl who just killed herself, with a theory that when they cook her, they'll all get high, and then want to take a nap, and then they can run away. This is the dumbest fucking idea I've ever seen, but the dumbest thing about it is that it works. So the villagers do cook her. Everyone gets high in what is probably the climax of the dumbest thing in this movie. One of the characters. Oh, there was this character, Lars, that was with them, too. I forgot to mention him. Oh, fun fact. When they're going down the river at first, Lars stops to take a bathroom break. And you get to see. I don't I can only describe it as maybe like top penis, bottom penis. He's like peeing. And for some reason, they show like the top part of his dick. The base of his penis. Yes, the base of it. The rest of it is, the head of it is covered by a log, but the whole point of it is there's like a tarantula going up the log. Oh, fuck that. Nope. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand what the point of that scene was, but like he doesn't get bit or anything. It's just like he gets scared by the spider. Same. And then we get to see some male genitals in a movie, which should happen more agreeably. But anyway. So Lars is like, oh my God, they're all high. And then there's these two villagers and. Then all of a sudden they start acting really aggressive and he's like, oh my God, this is a direct quote. They have the munchies. Oh my God, they have the munchies. And then they start taking bites out of Lars while he's still alive. This is not a horror comedy. It's just stupid. That's so stupid. Oh my God. Okay. Stoner humor really has to be done well to be funny. And this is basically stoner humor and really stupid. It It should not have been in it. So... I don't know what's more poorly timed, the attempt to stoner joke or Alejandro's masturbation. No. Well, Alejandro is hot, by the way. That actor is hot. So it's like almost excusable, but not really. But almost. (laughs) Almost. Just because you're hot doesn't mean you get to jerk off anywhere you want. I mean, in my presence, yes, you can. But like, probably not anywhere. Oh, my God. I have coworkers. Listen (laughs) to this. We're now up to three of them. All right, so back to Justine and Daniel. They had run away. Alejandro did not join them because he thought, oh my God, I'm going to have to explain so much of this movie. I was going to try to skip this plot point. Alejandro thinks the best idea to get saved is to stay there because it turns out that Alejandro is not a real activist, that he was paid by a rival deforestation company to like delay the first company by doing all this activism bullshit. So he knows a second company is going to roll through and destroy the village. And he's like, we should wait for this other company. This also makes everyone not like him even more. All right, had to put that in. He's so, just batting a thousand. I know. So Justine and Daniel are running away. Just It's going well. Justine falls into the Amazon River, 
which does cost some time but really serves no plot purpose. Although I did read that that actress was in the actual Amazon during that scene and actually at one point was had lost control and was getting carried by the current. And it took them a minute to realize that her cries for help were real cries for help and they had to go in and rescue her. And they used some of that footage. <laughs> so... Basically, they Justine and Daniel make it to the crash site. They're looking for the GPS machine that was in the plane. They find it, but it's out of batteries. Then they're recaptured. This is getting very close to the end. So they're recaptured. They start to prepare Justine for the genital mutilation ceremony by tying her down and painting her white. And then actually she has this like red strip across her eyes, kind of like detox in that season of Drag Race, but like not black. It was red. And she looks super fucking badass. Like... Coachella club kid except she's tied down and about to get her clit chopped off so oh my god it doesn't happen I can joke about it because it didn't happen Daniel on the other hand is tied to a spear and then they start covering him in green stuff and then they release these ants on him which start to like eat him alive a little bit yeah it's stupid honestly it's a stupid death scene and well actually he doesn't die like that I'll get to that in a second so Essentially what happens, they're about to do the mutilation ceremony on Justine when somebody comes, like, a villager comes up yelling something and carrying the head of a construction worker. And it becomes apparent that the other crew had gotten there. And so then the village kind of rallies to go do that. There's this little girl in the village who had kind of developed a fondness for Justine because Justine used to play this, like, little flute necklace thing that she had. And let's just she cuts Justine free. So then Justine gets to escape. But they pass Daniel, who's, like, been, like, bitten and by ants, and he's, like, not having a good day. And he's, like, please kill me, please kill me. And Justine is, like, um, I appreciate the offer, but no, I'm not going to do that because I'm terrible. So, luckily, the little girl does it for him. and Or for... The little girl takes care of business. Yes. The little girl kills him. So, good. Okay. Then after that, Justine finds the militia, like the new militia people, and they take her back to civilization. Then, in the ending of this movie, which is super fucking weird and makes zero sense, it flashes to an interview that Justine is talking about. Her dad is there, and there's like some investigators, assumedly from the UN or something. And she's basically talking about how like her plane crashed, but the natives came and like saved her and gave her food and shelter, and they were not hostile. And that the militia showed up and started slaughtering them. And that's why they fought back. And then they're like, well, there's rumors that those tribes are headhunters and cannibals. And she's like, oh, no, that I didn't see anything like that. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it literally doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's a little weird. Except maybe to show that, like, she's that much of an activist. I think that's what it is. is she's like, now I'm going to stand up for this tribe because it doesn't matter. I'm about to get to my final thoughts, so maybe I'll talk a little bit about that. But. Then she has this random ass dream where Alejandro comes up to her and is like, I made it out. And then she like opens her mouth and bites his neck out. And then she wakes up. And that's the end of the movie. So final thoughts real quick. This movie, the problem I had with this, the biggest problem I had with this movie is half of this movie is not a horror movie. It is just this lead up to like make you like these characters. But you really don't like them. Like, I think he's trying to develop this sense of where like you're going to like feel that these are real people and I guess that's effective because they all did seem kind of obnoxious and I do know people like them but I don't know I just there should it should have been more death earlier it also has this reputation for being hyper gory and like oh my god you're not gonna be able to watch it I do not like 
ultra gory horror movies. I think I've mentioned this. You for sure know this. I did not like Hostel at all. I thought it was too much. I thought that the whole point of it was to get this visceral reaction from seeing these like dismemberment things. This movie actually had no problem watching it. I was like, eh, okay. I mean, the guy getting his eyes plucked out, that was kind of a a bit much, but like that was it. I mean, I don't know. Ultimately, and then the ending, I don't think the ending makes sense at all. I think kind of the message is that I think the theme of like the travel and punishment movie is supposed to be don't go where you're a foreigner and mess with things that like aren't yours. And I do appreciate that. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm pretty well traveled and I really do appreciate that philosophy. I try very hard to not be, you know, the obnoxious tourist when I'm in a place to be very respectful. I think everybody should understand that you're in a culture that, you know, you're the foreigner and you need to respect that. And so I think I kind of get, I get that message and I really do agree with that message, but I don't necessarily think that this movie achieves, achieves it as well as maybe it should have. Yeah. But aside from that, that's what happens in the green inferno. All in all, it's not the worst thing I've seen, but I wouldn't probably recommend somebody watch it. You can probably just watch Cannibal Holocaust if you want. At least Cannibal Holocaust has this like old timey feel to it. Yeah. Anyways, that's enough about that. That's Green Inferno, Eli Roth. Now tell me what you're going to talk about. All right. So this week I'm actually doing my first recommendation. Hmm. So I am going to talk to you about the book, The Summer I Died by Ryan C. Thomas. And boy, was this one a doozy. (laughs) Uh, So this was recommended to me back in like early October. If anyone wants to know just how far in advance I read my books. Mm. By Frankie from the Pumpkin Podcast. We were talking with him when they were live on Instagram and she suggested that I read this one. She warned me that it was messed up. I did not listen. Yeah, I remember that. They were very, very cool people. Let's talk about the cover first. So it's pretty simple. Just some digital rendering, though I couldn't find the person who did it. Like I looked, you know, a lot of times on the back of the book, it'll be like cover design by and Mm -hmm. I've been trying to say it. I could not find it. It might say it on the actual physical book, but I was rocking the ebook version of this. So it was nowhere to be found. But you've got woods in the background. You've got a hand with an axe in the foreground. It's pretty straightforward, and it's very pertinent to the story. You have the great tagline of, Every second you're alive brings more and more pain. Mm. Which is something I would have said in high school. I was going to say, it sounds so much like the poetry I used to write when I was like 15. (laughs) Oh, goodness. We should just have a Patreon yeah, and to, then in the Patreon have recordings of you reading your poetry from when you were 15 years old. Yeah, to be honest, I think some of that does still exist. I know, okay, so I know I lost a lot of that stuff in Katrina because I used to keep like a box of my literary history stuff and I used to write all the time. So I know I, used to, I lost a lot of that, but I think I still have some of it. There used to be a website, but I haven't really searched to see if it's still up. It was like one of those free host things, but I haven't searched to see if it still exists. I would be shocked if it did. I mean, this was 15 was a long time ago. Oh, boy. All right. Let's get to the blurb. When Roger Huntington comes home from college for the summer and is met by his best friend, Tooth. That's a name. It's a nickname. There's actually a backstory. The backstory is explained. I'll explain the backstory. Okay. 
He knows they're going to have a good time. A summer full of beer, comic books, laughs, and maybe even girls. The sun is high and the sky is clear as Roger and Tooth set out to shoot beer cans on Bobcat Mountain. Just two friends catching up on last time. Two friends thinking about their future. Two friends suddenly thrust into the middle of a nightmare. Forced to fight for their lives against a sadistic killer with an arsenal of razor-sharp blades and a hungry dog by his side. If they are going to survive, they must decide. Are heroes born or are they made? Or is something more powerful happening to them? And more importantly, how do you survive when all roads lead to death? Bum, bum, bum. It's a very ominous blurb. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. So it sounds like a love story. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot. There's a lot going on here. So I'm just going to be straightforward and give people a heads up. The Summer I Died is straight up torture porn. If that makes you uncomfortable, be forewarned that while I'm not going to go into super intense detail, I will talk about some of the things that happen. If torture porn isn't your thing, that's totally valid. It's not really mine either. As always, take care of yourself first. I can handle gore totally fine, but I like for there to be a purpose to it, if that makes sense. And extended torture scenes have never really been my jam. And yet here we are. Yeah, I don't love it, love it either. But to be honest, I don't, I've never read anything like that. Like, you know that my favorite horror author is Clive Barker. Some of his scenes are very graphic. He's considered like the father of Splatterpunk. Yeah, so he does talk about a lot of like really graphic violence and gore. But I don't necessarily think that I've ever like read that and been like, this is gross. That's what I mean, though, is the difference between... Like, I want there to be a purpose. Yeah. Like, I'm fine with reading really graphically described deaths of characters in books. But if someone's just being tortured, and the torture doesn't even necessarily serve a purpose, it's just torture for the sake of having a torture scene, I I don't really care for that as much. Sure. Anyway, all that out of the way, let's dive in. The blurb does a really good job of summarizing the beginning. Roger is home for the summer after college, and he is hanging out with his friend, Tooth. The story behind the friend, Tooth, Tooth's father is an alcoholic and hits him with a car when he is younger and knocks out his front teeth. He gets hit by a car in the face. His dad, like, runs over him, basically. (laughs) True story. My dad ran over my older brother twice. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I remember this, but it was still a surprise. One of the time, I think, when he was like a baby, where he was like, he, my brother was playing with the exhaust pipe and my dad didn't realize it. And he started to back up and he backed over the baby and like the side of him, I think. And they took him to the hospital and I guess he was fine. And then the other time, oh, it wasn't my dad. I can't, to be honest, I can't remember. We were sledding in the back of our house down the alleyway and there was a car and he got under a car, but actually that might not have been my dad. But the baby one definitely was. Regardless, (laughs) one of your brothers was run over twice. Yeah. Anyway, he's fine now. And is very successful working in IT. Yeah, now he's very successful. Various shenanigans with casual homophobia laced into them. 
occur. But long story short, they are up on a mountain shooting and they hear a scream. They aren't getting any cell service, so they decide to be heroes. So, as a person who has lived in a city and heard many a gunshot, that is the opposite reaction that I think a normal person has. Well, they heard a scream. Oh, yeah, sorry. They were shooting and they heard a scream. I don't know that I would necessarily go towards a scream. I might call somebody. They had no cell service. Um, well, then that person might just be out of luck. <laughs> God. But also same. So they find a house in the woods that the scream had come from and out runs a woman, two dogs with blood on their paws, and a shirtless man who is chasing her with a hand axe and a saw. Ooh, you had me at shirtless. Well, the man is covered in tattoos. <laughs> is it getting hot in here? Prison tattoos that are all of women being raped by animals. Well, that's a weird choice. So we know we're dealing with some mental sanity here. That's an odd choice for a collage, I guess. Anyways. Again, if my earlier content warning wasn't enough, let's just reiterate that real quick. A scuffle ensues, wherein the woman gets an axe to the head, Tooth shoots one of the dogs, and then is knocked out, and Roger is also knocked out. He wakes up in what is clearly the basement of the house, and moral of the story here, mind your own and don't help other people. I mean, seriously, see, this is what I'm saying. If I heard somebody scream, they would just, it would just be tough for them because, I don't know. Anyway, as I'm sure you can imagine, this is where the torture begins. Yeah. Uh, So you've got your typical dismemberment and beatings going on here. The woman somehow survived having an axe in her head. You could technically maybe survive for a little while if it hit you in the right spot. But generally speaking, no. Well, it's fine because then the skinny man, which is what he is mostly referred to, chains her to a wood burning stove so her back literally melts off of her body. Like she's chained right against it. Yep. Mm. It's very graphically described. It's like two chapters. Okay. It's great. Uh, The interesting facet of the story, because there is some interesting stuff, is that Roger had stuck a pair of dice in his pocket earlier. There had been like a bowl of junk at his house. And for some reason, he just grabbed the dice. And the skinny man had found them. So the skinny man starts to roll the dice to see who gets tortured. So that's, I guess, like a fun aspect. It never comes up for Roger. (laughs) For some reason, all I'm thinking of right now are those intimacy dice that people have (laughs) that are like kiss toe or something like that. And I'm thinking if he's like rolling the dice and it's like dismember foot. No, it's like one through four. I hurt you. Oh, that's not as cute, but you know. Five through eight, I hurt tooth. Nine through 12, I hurt your sister because... Skinny Man also took Roger's wallet while he was knocked unconscious, found his ID, which had his address on it, and went and kidnapped Roger's sister as well. Seems like a lot of work. Like, I don't... That seems like a lot of work for, like, a random killer torturer to go through. We'll talk about my issues with, like, just how far this killer went. Okay. But the sister is kidnapped. She's added to the bunch she's put in like a different room in the basement 
But the torturer leaves the door open so that Roger can hear any time that she is tortured. The interesting part here, though, is that while Jamie, the sister, and Tooth are suffering, like, unimaginable torture, Roger's numbers simply don't come up at all whatsoever. So it basically just goes between Jamie and Tooth. The torture itself is extremely brutal, and it's extremely brutally described. If you have the stomach for it, this is totally, like, it for you. Most of Jamie's torture happens off screen. And that's very intentional because it adds this whole new level of like menace and dread. And the skinny man, like I said, leaves the door open so that Roger can hear and whatever. Tooth is a surprisingly sturdy man. He manages to survive having his nipple sawn off, being gagged with razor wire, and having his dick chopped off. Ew. Why would, but would you want to? <laughs> well, what he does not survive is having his jaw smashed off with a hammer and spike. Okay. You're almost kind of like relieved when Tooth dies because then he doesn't have to suffer anymore. Yeah, I feel like there's always a little bit of that in these types of movie or these types of books. He also gets like cinders from the wood burning stove shoved in his mouth and his mouth duct taped closed. It's a lot. Yeah. That sounds like a lot. Do they ever, is there, I, maybe you'll get to it. Is there like no motivation for this? Uh, sort of. I'll get to it. Okay. There's like sort of maybe motivation. Oh, super important here is that the skinny man, when he buries Tooth's body after like cutting off parts of it for his dog to eat, he wears Tooth's hat to taunt Roger. We'll get to why that's important in a minute. So eventually Roger escapes before the skinny man has a chance to turn his attentions on him. The way he does that is he manages to get like the dog's collar away and like bends part of the buckle to pick his locks. It sounds suspiciously made up, but Mm -hmm. whatever. And the story wraps up pretty quickly after that. Roger ends up going upstairs. Like he's trying to sneak out of the house and the skinny man who was outside starts coming back in. So he goes upstairs, which is dumb where he finds bottles of like antipsychotics. Okay. And stuff like that, as well as evidence that the skinny man once had a family. So we're led to assume that he killed them. He had like a wife and daughter, but here's my thing. I'm guessing the like prison tattoos. He must've given to himself maybe because he definitely didn't get them in prison because if he killed his wife and daughter I get the feeling he's not getting out of prison well if that's what he went to prison for like if that's what they're trying to imply or if they're just called prison tattoos because like that is a very specific aesthetic and the and like quality of tattoo but then I'm also thinking like how recently was the wife and daughter killed and how did the wife feel about the content of the tattoos <laughs> that's fair i mean first of all there are many ways to kill people and there are many variations of how that would be charged because if it was like an unintentional killing you know you can get five years on a manslaughter true i think the implication here is he went off his meds lost his mind and killed his family Right. Well, I'm just thinking, what if, like, he was driving drunk with his family and killed them, and he got five years on a manslaughter, and... Went went off his meds because we treat 
people in our prison system like they're animals and it's horrible and inhumane. And when he got out, he was crazy. Or like when he got out, like he didn't have the family support and he realized what he did and he like stopped taking his meds for whatever reason. This backstory is not real, but like I'm just saying it could explain it. I mean, they could be real prison tattoos. That's I guess that's the moral of the story. Those tattoos sound like a bit much, though. Also, it is people do give themselves tattoos, but it is very difficult. Yeah, no. And he's supposedly like covered in them. I feel like there'd be some places that would be hard to reach. Yeah, no, like your back. Anyway, uh, Roger and Skinny Man end up fighting, and Roger gets the hat back. I keep, like, emphasizing the hat because it's, like, the one, like, bum, bum, bum at the end. There's also a weird moment where Roger thinks he sees Tooth on the upstairs landing before he ends up escaping. Skinny Man chases Roger out into the street where Roger kills him and is eventually helped by someone driving by. Well, originally, the person driving by is like, what the fucking fuck? And then the police come and everyone realizes what had been going on. And they're like, oh, okay. But fun twist at the end, when investigators are digging up all of the bodies in the yard and they find Tooth, Tooth is wearing the hat. The implication, I think, being that, like, the ghost of Tooth really was on the landing and somehow got the hat back. It's not really explained. Is This is going to sound out there, but... Is there no Roger, maybe? How would there be no Roger? Because, I don't I don't know. Because Roger never gets tortured. And then Tooth has the hat, but they had, but Roger had taken the hat at the end. I don't know, but there are two sequels. Oh. With Roger as the main character. Okay, never mind. Pretty sure he's real. But I don't get what that's supposed to mean then. Tooth had his own hat that Roger had taken back from the killer. Does the ghost take the hat when he sees him? I think that's the implication. Okay. That's weird. I don't know. It was weird. I think it was supposed to add some level of profundity to the presence of Tooth's face on the landing. I don't know. I really don't know. (laughs) This book was a lot. Fair enough. And the end. It's a trilogy. And weirdly enough, I am both tempted and utterly uninterested (laughs) about the other books. Like, I kind of want to know... What the deal is with why Roger's numbers never came up on the dice. Like, I kind of want to know what's going on with Tooth. Like, I kind of want to know if these things are answered or talked about in the last two books. Does Roger's sister die? A few days later. Okay. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. She was, like, horrifically dismembered. Okay. And she dies a few days after. But, yeah. And this book is called The The Summer I Died. Yes. But he doesn't die. He died on the inside. God, who didn't? You ain't special. But like that is the, the I even want to say in the introduction, because it opens with him kind of looking back on the experience. And I think that is supposed to be the meaning of the title is that physically he is alive, but he has died. Sure. His soul has died. Sure. So because a majority of this is torture and I didn't want to talk about it in super graphic detail because, yes, even the graphic things I told you is heavily paraphrased. Let's break down some of the things that I liked and some of the things that I didn't. Things I didn't like just to get it out of the way early on. There's something about the completely wild crazy of the skinny man that just annoyed me and was all over the place. It started as this like. He's 
this crazy person who anytime someone trespasses, he kills them. Then it turns into like a, a sexual thing because my joke at the beginning, which was in really poor taste is basically in every single torture scene, skinny man is naked and jerking off the whole time. Yikes. Yeah. There's even a point he takes, he cuts the head off of the woman who had the ax and the, the back melt. Uh huh. And starts fucking the mouth of her severed head. It's kind of like the Serbian film in a way. We don't talk about that in this house. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I don't want to see it. Yeah, it's just stupid. It's like done for ultra shock. Yeah. It's like, what's the next step that we can take? Oh, I, I don't think I mentioned. Stop me if I did. But then there's also like a potential motivation is he thinks his dogs are telling him to do this to people so that they can eat human flesh. It's just weird. And like Skinny Man does stuff that it just feels like is there to be shocking. At one point, he like wipes some of Tooth's blood on his face and then starts making out with Roger. So it is a love story. No. Also, and I will say all of this real fast because it is a super downer. I struggled with the content on this one. As you know, as I was reading it, I had to take a lot of breaks. And I... Was a little bit shocked because I do handle gore relatively well. And I was thinking really hard. And I think basically what it boiled down to is my imagination is very vivid and it's very mean. So I kept in my head seeing a situation where it wasn't Roger and Tooth. It was me and you. And I was having to watch all these things happen to you. Which made me really sad. (laughs) And upset me a lot. Well, we would never get ourselves into that situation. Yes. Also, the entire time I was afraid that Skinny Man was going to assault Jamie. Oh, the sister? The sister. Like, sexually assault her. And I thought that I was going to have to read that scene with the same level of explicit detail that the torture is. And I can read torture relatively well. I cannot read explicit rape scenes. So that was another reason why I kept having to stop was because basically at the end of every, every time her number came up, it was like, fuck, am I going to have to read this? And to be completely honest with you, if that's what had happened, I probably would have stopped and just apologized to Frankie from the pumpkin podcast and been like, sorry, can't do it. Cause like I said earlier, you should take care of yourself. Yeah. But obviously skinny man only has eyes for Roger. I know, but only when blood's involved. Anyway, now that I've been a huge downer, let's talk about stuff that I liked. There was actually interestingly constructed plot. There was a lot of torture that was just for the sake of torture, but it was sort of like framed by plot. Like there's enough of an introduction that you start to care about Roger and even Tooth because there are like little scenes where you see that Tooth is actually like a good guy between his like small town bluster. And I thought the dice part was interesting. I found myself like holding my breath every time Skinny Man rolled them. I thought that the scenes with the dice were really well paced and had really good tension in them. Uh, if I had to read a torture porn, I was glad that it was this one. <laughs> if that's sure, like a good way to phrase it. There are also some really amusingly phrased sentences that I am going to quote for you. Are you ready? Sure. 
Ain't nothing like a monster booty to make your nuts do the mambo. That ain't wrong. Listening to a drunk get philosophical is on par with rolling down a hill in a barrel full of nails. You get dizzy, your insides shriek with stabbing pain, and you end up someplace lower than where you started. Ironically enough, that's how I feel anytime someone tries to make small talk with me. (laughs) The Camaro rumbled down the road like a metallic fart with a purpose. God. The makeshift lock pick was having about as much effect on this lock as a finger would have on a woman with 10 kids. Oh. (laughs) Which was a really interesting sentence to read in the middle of a character desperately trying to get out of a torture situation. Kind of misogynistic a little bit, though. Really gross, honestly. (laughs) But I guess, like I said, what amused me the most was the timing. Like, now is your time to make a joke. Also, it doesn't matter how many kids she's had. If your finger isn't getting a reaction, it's on you. You're doing it wrong. That's very true. And as you know from being around me, it is always time for a joke. That is your philosophy. And my favorite, last but not least, quote, Well, wrap my nuts around a pole and call me Mary. Mary? I don't get it. I don't get it either. It's just insane. Tooth says it one day. Okay. I just don't get it. I don't get why we had to deviate from the classic butter my ass and call me a biscuit. <laughs> well, I've, I've never heard that either. Really? No. Oh. I didn't grow up in the South. I did. <laughs> we didn't talk about biscuits. I'm sorry, butter my ass and call me an English muffin. (laughs) Whatever the fuck it is you people eat up there. We did have a lot of English muffins growing up. Anyway, all in all, I am going to give this three out of five dice rolled in your favor. It's intense and it's brutal, but at least it was like, well done for what it was. I was just trying really hard not to let my rating be influenced by the fact that I just don't like torture porn. Sure. So I'm going to stick with three out of five. Okay. A noble rating. And if you were in the summer I died, would you have been killed? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's all. Sure. I mean, really, I just would have crumpled. The thing is, like, Roger has almost this superhuman determination to get out, probably because of his sister. Like, a majority of it is, like, I have to get out. I have to get Jamie out, that sort of thing. And I'll have that willpower. I'm kind of a wimp. I would have just been like, please kill me. Thanks. Or maybe you wouldn't have been because you would have heard the scream and been like, ooh, that girl sounds like she's not having a good time. Do we get cable up here? (laughs) God. She sounds like she's having a rough day. I'm just going to leave her to it. Would you die in Green Inferno? Uh, Probably. I mean, yeah. You are a snack. All that aside, to be honest with you, if I was if I was like captured by this tribe and like watching them like eat people, I don't know how much longer I could survive that. Plus, like, I'm not a nature person. Like, if I was like stranded in the rainforest, that would be pretty un I don't know. I would I would not like to find myself in that situation. And they did kill everybody except for the one girl, and I think they saved her for last because they were she they thought she was a virgin, which <laughs> I would not have passed that test. 
Well, this was an uplifting, cheerful episode full of gore, murder, and blood. If you would like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Goodreads at Second to Die Pod. You can also email us questions, comments, concerns, or as you have found out from this episode as well, suggestions on what you may want Cole to read or me to watch and talk about. And you can do that by sending that email to secondtodiepod at gmail.com. And if you give me a suggestion, I will give you a projected timeline for when I will actually, like, have the episode come out. I just feel like it's polite. Anyway, and remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die.